What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. Um, today we uh, we did an episode with Sean Madden. He's a coach out of uh, Elevation Fight Team. They're a team in Colorado. They've got uh, guys like Drew Dober, Corey Sanhagen, uh, Neil Magny, Justin Gaethje, uh, tons of good guys up there, and he's he's uh, a part of that program. So we had him on, asked him a bunch of que- questions about coaching, about fighting, and um, and yeah, we just kind of had a good talk. So hopefully you guys enjoy the episode. Also, hopefully next week we ha- will have a whole new... Uh, totally professional recording setup going on. So I appreciate everyone who has been listening through the um, less than less than professional audio quality. But hopefully we're gonna get that better for you guys. So we really appreciate the support while we we're kind of getting things running, and uh, we're gonna just keep improving. And hopefully you guys stick with us. All right. Um, so without with that, uh, let's get to the episode. All right. I I can't um, use AirPods, man. You can't like, put them in your ears, huh? No, like I can if I'm. So you got nasty right ears. Hand, but if I'm doing any sort of movement, like if I'm running or anything, they they'll fall right out. Well, I use my uh, my uh, you know my regular poor man headphones, like the the standard Apple ones, and I wrap the cords around my ear. Like I wrap them all around my fucking like, man this day. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, all right, which view do I want to use here? Okay, cool. All right, cool. So, what's up, Sean? How you been? Good, man. How are you guys doing? Not bad. Good. Tired. Of- I haven't seen you in a minute, Sean. It's been a while. Probably eight thing. weeks, right? <laughs> I know. Last time I saw you, I think when we were helping Dober. Like me That's and right. Yeah, yeah. One day. Yeah. So probably six six weeks ago or something. It's been a while. Good to see you that, guys. Uh, that haircut looks way too fresh, man. I don't think you've been locking down. This is fresh, yeah. Our, my barber opened. My, so my barber parts? opened up last week, and nice. I could not get in. He was booked right away for a full week. So this is this is fresh off the shelf. Are, uh, are allowed to be? Are they allowed to be opening right now, or is he? Is he? Uh, yeah, they they uh, they op- they're allowed to open. They were good for phase one. So um, fuck the barber, Nick's. Uh, Nick's gyms are open and our gym is still closed. Just think uh, priorities are astray. <laughs> not, not everywhere in California. Like the, cause I, there's two spots that I go to out here and one's in Orange County. They're still closed. One's in Riverside County. Um, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a redneck county. <laughs> so, and the <laughs> sheriff, what they want. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. The sheriff is like, you guys open up, like it's all good. So, they, we've had the cops roll by a few times, and they just they wave, and, you know. I, like, I think, like, they said 10% of the members didn't come back, but pretty much everybody, pretty much everybody. Nice. I've just great. been, I've just been, like, taking extra precaution because I know I'm not, I know I'm not locked down, so I've just been, like, avoiding things like grocery stores and things where, like, you know, older people or vulnerable people might be. Um, but Oh, how considerate of you. I don't know. It's it's. I don't want a guilty conscience. I would just feel bad, man. I'm a. I don't know. What's a conscience? Do what you can, man. That's yeah. good. That's all you can control. Do what you can. Yeah. Focus on you. It's good. So um, so I I wanted to kind of just get into 
like maybe talk like 10 minutes like your history your past and or your your background and things like that and then we'll get into some more like some more relevant or not relevant but you know recent things and things like that we'll sure. start there. so um you your background is muay thai right did you do yep. MMA or you only competed in kickboxing only competed in kickboxing and muay thai yep oh, okay, um no. i never i never did mma um i wanted to um you know but when i was competing Muay Thai specifically, I was just kind of focused on that at the time, you know, and I had some goals set for myself that I wanted to achieve there. So I was kind of tunnel vision on that, you know, um, and, and striking as you guys both know, is kind of my, is my passion, you know, yeah. um, I've trained jujitsu. I trained jujitsu for a couple of years. Um, I was training with the MMA team for a little while, while I was, while I was doing Muay Thai. So, um, I, I I've grappled a little bit, you know, um, but my passion is 100% in striking. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of what led me down that road. You know, I remember, um, I believe this was, I believe this was like, was going to be the last fight right, that you were going to have that it didn't happen right before you retired. There was, cause I was, when I was in Colorado, I was training at Dwayne's also. And there was this guy there named Casey. And, yeah. and I think you guys were going to be matched up, right? And, yep. and I, I didn't know, I hadn't met you at the time. He was like, yeah, this guy named Sean was supposedly some elevation. And you know, like how it is, like your buddy's going to fight somebody or something. And then I, I saw you that first time. I was like, that's that fucking guy right there. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, I got to know you over time. So um, what, what kind of led to that decision? Like what made you want to just get straight into just coaching full time? Yeah, that's a good question. So my last fight was October of 2016. So it's been, um, been four and a half years now, almost, you know, since I've, since for I've glory, fought right? for glory, that was fight. Yep. Um, you know, I had, I had goals to, to continue fighting after that and keep competing. I had some injuries that really set me back longer than I would have liked. And in that time, I watched guys that I had been competing against, you know, kind of on the Muay Thai and the kickboxing national circuit that I had fought, they had fought, you know, I, I was sitting out for quite a while and those guys had fought 10, 15, 20 times since then, you know, mm. and I, I just had to be real with myself and say, look, okay, this is where these guys are, right? This is where you are right now. Um, injuries will hold you back, right? Um, and at the rate that I was progressing, it just wasn't realistic really, right? You, you, could, you, could, you can always fight maybe on the local circuit, right? You can fight a bum here and there and you could stay in this game if you wanted to, but where my goals were set as a competitor were much higher than that, just like your guys have been. And I had to sit down and really evaluate the progress that I was making and the amount of time it would take to get there. Um, you know, and that's a tough conversation to have with yourself as an athlete. It took me a while that, to kind of go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I, said, I think that's a conversation that we all of us need to have. Like yes. sooner or later, you got like, uh, okay, what are, what am I looking at here? What what are the odds? What like yeah. you have to be completely honest with yourself. Why why am I doing it? Yeah, I, I you know I know some people that you know they just kind of fight here or there, and me, I I don't think I could ever do that. Like if I'm not gonna go all the way. What's the? Right, I don't. If I'm not gonna try, if that's not the goal, then I'm like, eh, why am I even? bothering with this. right what's the point I mean, of hurting your body like that exactly you know that's what i tell 
a lot of my guys now. And that's the conversation I had with myself, you know, any, any type of combat sport, you know, in, in my eyes, Muay Thai and, and MMA in particular, I, I think those are the most grueling on your body. If you're not a hundred percent in on your goal and what you're trying to achieve in this sport, then, then you have to go find something else to do because this is just too taxing on you physically, mentally, everything else to be able to carry that burden. If you're not a hundred percent in and focused on your goals, even 99%, if there's a seed of doubt that's inside of you, you either need to address that and get back to a hundred or you have to go find something else to do, you know, and you'll yeah. see guys who are 98, 90% in maybe. And they're like, Hey, I need to take some time and reevaluate. And some guys find that fire again. Right. And they pursue competition again. Some guys can't find that extra 10% and they, and they decide to take another path, you know, but these sports are just far too dangerous for you not to be in a hundred percent. And that's yeah. what you're doing right now. You're giving that hundred percent into coaching. That's why. Yes. That's why you, uh, when you were cornering my last fight, like everything, when the way you arrived to the hotels, like every, you just made everything so easy for me. All I had to do was just show up. The way right. you cut it, everything was so professional. And then after I knocked my opponent out, Nick had to go home. And then you, you were so exhausted from being so emotionally involved in this. Like, look, I get invested in the guys, but I got to go sleep this <laughs> Yeah, you know, and that, it brings up a good point there too, right? And this is kind of what makes that transition between competing and coaching tough is that as an athlete, you have to be 100% selfish, right? Everything is based around you, your training, your preparation for competition yep. as it should be, right? As a coach on the other end of the spectrum, you have to be 100% selfless. Everything is given to your athletes, right? It's mm -hmm. not about you, right? Your athletes winning has nothing to do with you. Although when your athlete loses, everything has to do with you, right? But for the most part, it's whatever your fighter needs, whatever your athlete needs to succeed, you're going to give it to them, whether it's your time, whether it's money, whether it's your body, which is the case in a lot of pad holders, right, where they're just taking damage all the time. It, you know, um, So it's tough to make that transition full-time from being 100% selfish to 100% selfless, you know? And it took me a little bit for sure. But um, I feel like I've done a good job of that now. I feel like I'm in that role, and I really love it. It's, 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 uh, I wouldn't imagine doing anything else. Were you doing coaching? Were you coaching some, like, when you were still fighting? I was, you know, and, and that was part of the decision, too. So you get to this point where you're coaching, you're competing at a certain level, right? I'm fighting for Lion Fight and Glory, um, and, and then you're coaching at a certain level, and you know, maybe you get people start to ask to work with you and these guys are fighting at a certain level. For example, Boyan's a great example of this. I was competing still at the same time that he got signed to the UFC, right? So now you're having a coach that's working with you, but also has to prioritize his training too, right? Which in my eyes should not be the case, right? You can be a yeah. training partner that's helping, but someone, especially at that level of competition, your coaches should be giving 100% of their time to you. Right. And I learned that lesson the hard way. And I, I take um, some of Bo's losses and I put them 100% on my shoulders because I didn't give him the attention that he deserved in that situation, you know, and he may argue that or someone else may argue that, but that's at least how I feel about that. You know, so you get to a point where it's like, okay, one of these has to give, right. Yeah. You're either going to be a good athlete or you're going to be a good coach. But if you try to do both at a high level, you're going to be average at best at both of them. Right. Yes. So I ended up getting that to that position and I had to make a choice with, with myself. And that's kind of where that conversation came in. Okay, look, we're getting injured. You're spending a lot of time out of the ring. Right. Um, 
you're getting a lot of guys to ask you to start coaching them. Let's make a decision here, right? What seems more realistic? And like I said, it's not an easy conversation, but I think at the end of the day, I made the right decision. Do, uh, do, you, do you find that you enjoy coaching as much as – sometimes I feel like, at least as far as the – in some aspects, coaching can maybe be a little bit more enjoyable. Or do you find that or do you, do you, do you miss fighting or, or how do you feel about it? I do. I do miss competition at, at certain times. You know, um, there's just something really special about it that I think it's almost even hard to see until you fully remove yourself from that position that I'm like, wow, you know, I, I do really miss some of that stuff. You know, I miss training when my body is super tired. I miss pushing my teammates and sparring. I miss, man, I miss some of my weight cuts, even though they, they sucked. And you guys know that you guys both, you know, weight cuts are not pleasant you know, but I, I miss that stuff sometimes, you know, like there's, there's certain benefits that you get to enjoy as a coach, right? Life gets a little bit easier. And in some ways life gets harder too, right? Like I, man, I'm still taking a beating when I hold pads three, four, you know, I, I, I do anywhere from 20 to 25 pad sessions a week, you know, from guys, at, ladies at 115 to, to heavyweights, you know, and my it's body's a lot, fucked, man. <laughs> it's a lot easier on your body to be a jiu-jitsu coach than it is to be a that's right. Coach. I hold coach. like five sessions a week, and I feel sorry for myself. If that, if I hold that for that much, like, oh, poor me. When you teach jujitsu, you can uh, you can like sit against the wall and just kind of point and like, right? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go get a partner, right? Grab a partner, come in. I'll watch you guys. Yeah, yeah. you know. So if, you know, if your if your coach is doing it right, yeah, he's giving his body to you too. You know. Um, so I I do miss competition sometimes though. There's just something that um, is really special in coaching, you know, creating a bond with the athlete, suffering with the athlete, you know, investing a lot of your time and then seeing that hard work pay off, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and knowing that they trusted you to get the job done with them. I, it's, it's really fulfilling, you know, and then, you know, when they lose feeling the same thing of like, man, that I fucked that up, that that falls on my shoulders. What could we have done to do better for the next one? You know, and, and I take those I take those losses really hard. You know, when, when we have the wins, I'm proud of those guys, but they deserve all the credit because they went out and execute. But that is something that a coach gets to share with the athlete that I think is really special. And I, I enjoy those every single time. Yeah. You never, uh, go ahead, Nick. No, it's okay. Go ahead. I was saying, you never stay uh, stagnant either. You're constantly watching new videos of fight breakdowns and just like fine tuning little skills here and there. And I feel like you're developing. Uh, your own system. I mean, it's already, you already have a system, but your system keeps developing and fine tuning itself and uh, just keeps getting better and better. How many hours do you think you put in like a week on studying film and uh, just getting new, fresh ideas? And learning in general, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, anytime I'm not in the gym actually doing, I'm learning, you know, and I, I, I don't even know what the hour estimate it is, but between, you know, maybe the phone calls of me and Dave talking about transitions between striking and wrestling or Peter and I talking about uh, certain positions off the fence or in the open or Cody and I talking or us breaking down sparring footage or watching fights, you know, like my day is occupied with this, you know? So for example, you know, Corey sparred this morning. Um, I recorded his rounds. I watched them this afternoon. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to break those rounds down. I'm going to watch them. I'm going to put them on my TV. I'm going to cut up clips. I'm going to send them to Corey. 
you know, we're going to we'll sit down and review that. And some guys don't like that. Some guys do like that. So it's up to the athlete, you know, either way, I'm going to watch the rounds and I'm going to go back and review and look at that and say, what can we do better for the next one? You know, um, I'm going to watch more footage of his next opponent um, footage that I've already watched. You know, I'm going to look at it in a different lens and I'm going to continue to make notes and find stuff. But yeah, man, if you're not doing this stuff at the top of this game, then in my eyes, you're doing your athlete a disservice, you know, they, they, they deserve 100% of your attention, especially fights at that level, right? Now, if we're talking about like a, a debut amateur fighter, yeah, you're not going to give them that much attention because they haven't necessarily earned it or they don't need it, right? The big thing for them is experience, right? But when we're dealing with it, exactly, when we're dealing yeah. with the number one title contender fight at 135 pounds in the UFC, yeah, they deserve all of that attention. And if you're not giving it to them, then you're doing that fighter a disservice for sure. Then that fighter needs to find somebody else that will. That's on that fighter. Maybe, maybe at that time, somebody else can do that. And once they've earned that position, then they could find the coach that a better coach that could give them that time. But it really, it's on the fighter too to find what they need. It's yeah. a two-way thing. Hundred percent. I, I think like if you if you put that time into somebody fighting at an amateur level and you came up with this game plan and all that stuff, they're not going to stick to that game plan. Absolutely not. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. And there's, because there's different goals in your first fight, right? It's like, first of all, it's like, all right, let's get through this fog of what's actually happening. Right. You're, you're only gaining experience at that level. Right. Um, so yeah, you know, you also have to have a coach who is able to be adaptable and be fluid to who they're coaching, right. What level they're competing at and then give to them, uh, the proper tools based on what they're trying to achieve. You know, you, it's not one size fits all for this for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would say right now that, Oh, you know, what? I don't even think we've said this, but so you're, um, you're coaching out of elevation fight teams. That's a team that a root uh, fights out of. And then when I was living in Colorado, that's where I was training um, for just for the listeners. So I would say that you guys, I don't know the stats in this, but, you got to have one of the highest like win rates in the last couple of years. And the teams that I've, that maybe have higher ones that not as many of those are at, at the highest level. Right. So you, you guys are like one of the, one of the more, or one of the most successful teams out there, maybe the most. Um, Arguably, right? Yeah, I would say so. Arguably and and I, when I, when I first got there, that was when I got there like right before the transition from muscle farm to Easton was happening and there was like kind of a, a change in, in leadership. And it maybe it was just because I was, uh, I was not as like involved or ingrained in the team yet, but it seemed like it was kind of just a lot of people kind of doing their own thing and with different coaches and, and this and that. And that, that really kind of changed to more of like, it seemed like it changed to more of a cohesive program. Uh, and like in the last, well, maybe two years, um, and then, and I feel like that success like came out of that. What, what do you feel like is, is special that you guys have going on right now? And, and what kind of led to that change? Or I did sure. that even happened, you know? Yeah. So that, that's a great point. You know, um, that was an interesting time, you know, before, even when we were at Muscle Farm, you know, what we had there was we had a really cool facility. We had a shiny facility with all the bells and whistles. Right. But what we had there was more of a collection of individuals than a team right? Because some people were there getting paid to train there. Other mm -hmm. people were just there kind of taking advantage of the facility and, and all right, this is an awesome place. 
we didn't really have a team. We had a group of people training under one roof, maybe under the same name, but not a team. So when we lost that, and I don't even want to say it that way, right? When we split ways with Muscle Farm and we went back to Easton, we did lose some people, right? And for me, I thought that was great because it kind of, it trimmed the fat a little bit and was like, okay, well, these are the people that are here for the team. And the other people are the ones that were here for the facility and being around the big names. Right. Um, so it really kind of got us back to our roots, right? We went from this, like I said, Muscle Farm, supplements, sponsored, small team here, no sponsorships, small group of people. Okay, let's rebuild a little bit, you know? So we had to reevaluate that as a coaching staff, you know, and say, how can we kind of rebuild this situation? And exactly like you said, I think it really just comes down to the leadership. I think it comes down to the culture that we've created on the team um, and really stressing that the team comes first above any one individual and that we are a team, you know, we're in this together. Um, and I think, I think those decisions have kind of what have led us to be successful. You know, we've also done a really good job of, we have a good, I like to think we have a really good vibe and a good energy on our team. And we've been very picky on who we allow to take a seat at the table and who we don't. And we've turned down in terms of people coming to train with the team, asking to be a part of the team. Right. Um, one of the main criteria is it has nothing really to do with the level of talent. Of course. Right. There's a, there's a, there's a baseline because this is a professional team, right. Yeah. You have to have some semblance of skill. Right. But more than anything, you have to fit in with the team and the team has to fit with you. Right. And we've turned down a lot of high level guys. Um, I don't need to mention any names, but we've said no to people that, that would bring a lot of light to the team in the past. And, um, and we did that because we didn't feel like they were going to be a good fit for the team. So I think something that we've done really well is just protect that culture and that kind of that personality of the team by allowing who gets a seat at the table. And I don't want to sound elitist or anything by any means. Right. Um, but we've, we've created a culture with elevation fight team and we do our best to protect that culture and make sure we have the right people on the team who are going to bring something to the table and not take something away from I it. I think, I think the, the culture uh, is um, the foundation for a, a good learning environment. You, yeah. you go to practice with a clear objective to learn. You're not distracted by drama from outside of the uh, training, coming into training. And, uh, like everybody's, when they're training, everybody's positive. Just a good chemistry is, uh, is a result of the good culture. And that's where it's easier to learn and easier to pick up the new skills. I was, I was saying that the other day, somebody was asking me about, I don't know, it might have been like when, when Drew was fighting, uh, somebody was asking me about like, oh, what's it like, you know, or what's training with him like? Is, does, you know, basically, do these guys hurt each other, you know? And I was like, no, I mean, like, I don't think, there, there's not really anybody that I don't like trust to train with in the right way or like to like have like the right environment. And they were asking me about it. And I was like, yeah, there's definitely like a lot of that in MMA in general, but I feel like all those guys like, yeah, weeded out. For the most part, I, I, I didn't realize so. that it was intentional. What's that? I said, for the most part, I think so. But then those that are dangerous, you know who you're going with, and you know you got to turn up a little more. Yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, yeah. Like you, you, if you want to, uh, if you're not feeling too good one day, and 
you want to uh, have like more technical rounds, you, there's plenty of guys that will provide that for you. If you're close to fight, to your fight and you want to bang a little bit, there's we have those too. So <laughs> we have whatever you need. Yeah, but but I still I feel like the general the general vibe is still like it's. I don't know. It's, it's absolutely it's, like it's, it's helpful, yeah. even if it's like like I've I've had days where I've gone in there and like I've told you like hey like let's go let's pick it up a little bit today, you know what I mean or whatever. But it's still like in the spirit of of like growth and helping, you know what I mean. I feel like the guys that don't have that didn't stick well, around. Impossible with a team this big to not have like one or two people that uh, will go ham. But th but like overall, like you said, generally speaking, we're very much team oriented as in how can we make each other better and like let's not hurt each other let's make right. each other better yeah. Yeah. those guys like you said a root those guys are more the exception than than absolutely the standard right you guys both know it you know a lot of MMA, mma gyms and especially these bigger camps it's like you go into a sparring day and it's like fuck all right i, I gotta get ready today i have to be on my a game because someone's gonna take my head off you know um and and when you see that to me it's like one, the team is probably too big to where they're just fighting for spots on the team, right? Um, most of the time, it's people that don't even train there regularly. It's people who are just stopping in for camp. They don't have friends there. You know, sparring to them is, is a fight, right? However, when you have people who are at training every single day consistently with their teammates and building that relationship and that trust, they're going to take care of you, right? Yeah. Um, it's very different than people just coming in and out for, for two weeks, three weeks for their camp. You don't know that person. Yeah. That's when, that's when you, you start scrapping with that guy, but you know, and that just goes back to the culture. Like I said, that we created, right. When you require everyone to come to team practice and, and you make sure it's the same people at every single training session, you know, you're going to build that relationship with the teammates and they're going to make sure they take care of each other and they're not there to hurt each other. Absolutely. I think that's something we've done well. Um, yeah, definitely. So, Let's like uh, to kind of turn a page here a little bit. What when you we were talking about watching film and and game plan and breaking opponents down. What's uh what's that process for you like? Uh, I know everybody has a different way of going about it. So what what's what's your process like? Sure. Yeah. So you know, once again, it kind of depends on the level of where we're competing. Um, and, but let's say and, for like the high for the high. Sure. Level. For a UFC level, yeah. For let's say for one of Corey's opponents, right? So the good, the good thing about that is all of their, their fights are online, right, on UFC Fight Pass. So I can go back. I'll usually watch if they have, you know, their last six or eight fights. And my goal there, before I start really kind of zooming in on, on something, is to just start to watch for progression and start to look for tendencies. So I'm watching the fights a little bit more in a bird's eye view. I'm not looking for something specific necessarily inside of a specific fight versus a specific opponent. I'm watching these fights in order and I'm starting to see some tendencies that come out across the board. Okay. When this guy's getting pressured, this is what's happening. When his opponent is shooting a takedown, this is what's happening. When he's on offense and feeling good, this is what's happening. When he's hurt, this is what's happening. And you can start to draw out these, you know, these overarching things that you see across all of those fights. And those are stuff, those are things that are, sometimes tougher to go away because those are the instincts that they're fighting on, you know? Um, so I'll, like I said, I'll go through all the fights and start to pick out some common themes that I see. And then after that, I can start to look at things specifically that we're honing in. on. Okay. What does his offense look like in the middle of the cage? What does his offense look like against the cage? You know, 
kick heavy, punch heavy? How is he setting up his takedowns? Is he wrestling at all? Is he fainting? You know, stuff like that. And I'll start to make notes. I'll start to compile strengths and weaknesses. And then I'll start to write down what I think based on, you know, Corey's strengths and his skills, what's going to work well against this opponent. And then once we have all this information compiled, we kind of meet and then, and then we start to implement that stuff in the training camp, you know, but even, even as we get close to the fight, I'll continue to watch footage just to keep it fresh in my mind. And if I miss something the last two or three times when I watch that fight, right, I may catch it this time as well. So I'm super familiar with these opponents. By the time we get to the cage and we step in with this guy, you know, I feel like I've been watching in the last eight weeks. And of course, we're always expecting something different too. But like I said, if this guy has been doing something the last eight fights, statistically speaking, he's probably going to go to that situation too in this fight if that situation presents itself, you know? So we are able to dry out some of those tendencies. If you watch over X number of fights, you can kind of start to pay attention to that kind of stuff. So I would even say, I'm, I'm just guessing at this, but I would even say that once guys get into the UFC, you, there's probably a lot less change from fight to fight because they've already had yeah. kind of really ingrained habits. Right. You know, yeah, they've they've built their foundation already, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 that's what's been successful too. Yeah. So I, I would agree with that. I think for the most part, um, that they start to just kind of refine what they have versus building a new version of themselves, right? Yeah. Some old dogs, uh, just get a little bit like, sharper. What's that? Some dude look, look Alistair, you know. I thought Alistair so showed some I thought he showed some new stuff in this last fight. That was fantastic. He did you know? Cody's system. I was going to say, some old dogs learn new tricks way better than other old dogs. And, yeah, the Cody's system won him the fight. Exactly. Exactly. Beautiful. You know? um, and that, that we, can, we could take that into a couple different directions, you know. But exactly like you said, that would be tough for Walt to prepare for, you know, because Alistair hasn't shown that in a prior fight. Um, so you always have to take that into account that they could learn something new, but like we talked about before, probably the exception more than the rule. And statistically speaking, Nick, I think you're right. They tend to refine their game a little bit more at this point, as opposed to adding a ton, maybe unless they're on a two fight losing streak. And then we should expect some big changes, something like that. Right. Sure. Yeah. Are you looking at odds, tendencies, progressing odds. Like, well, yeah. how can I put the odds in my favor? There's no guarantees. We all know this. Correct. This is always going to get – the only guarantee you have that you're going to be surprised in the fight. What, um, what played out with um, – if I'm being honest, I didn't see – I didn't see how this was fine. I just saw oh, how dare you. I know. <laughs> um, how did – like, what was the – what was the, like, game plan and, uh, you know, like, what, what, what went down with that? Well, Alistair has fantastic grappling. Um, you know, and I, that was the goal. That was the plan was, you know, take Walt down, beat him up on the ground a little bit. You know, of course the fight started standing. Walt is a big guy, man. Walt cuts to make weight at the 265 limit. You know, I would imagine on the night of the fight, he must've been 275, 280 and Alistair weighed in at 253. So, um, I can't imagine he fluctuated a ton to the night of the fight we're looking at at least a 20 pound difference on the night of the fight you know um so they came out you know walt put some pressure and hurt alistair early in the fight um he got cut and he was able to defend and recover really well but it was very close to getting stopped um i thought dan mergliata did a really fantastic job allowing that fight to play out 
Um, yeah, you know, because Dan refed Alistair's last fight in December when we had the stoppage with um, strike, And so he had the main event this last week, and, and he did a fantastic job. So props to Dan for that, you know. But um, Alistair was able to recover. He was able to take Walt down. And honestly, the momentum, I felt like, shifted almost exactly right through the first half of the first round to where um, Alistair took Walt down. You know, he was, he was transitioning. He had the wrist ride on bottom which is basically Cody's entire series right there. And he, and he did that textbook, you know, and, and Walt was having a hard time standing back up off of that. We get to the second round. Alistair threw a very nice head kick that hurt Walt. He followed up with a flurry. Um, and, you know, the fight was over pretty quick after that. Um, but it was, a, it was a really good job of, of, of coming back and recovering and then finishing the fight. You said he redeemed himself. What? What? What was? Yeah, uh... yeah like when uh, Alistair fought in DC, there was like two seconds left, and he was an out, and he stepped. He stopped the fight, and then this time he let him. Uh, he let him work a little bit, where it was close. Like we could, he could have stopped the fight, but he yeah. saw. He paid close attention, and he saw that he's that Alistair was still in the fight and was still working. And yeah. He let him. He let him get out of that position. That's so rough, man. That's got to be so so hard to like. Ref is one of the hardest things I've ever done. I ref once in my life, and did I fuck up? Like, it's one of the hardest things. Is in the heat of the moment, like when they're going, you. It's so hard to see. Like, it's an almost impossible job, and you're doomed if you do. Doomed if you don't. Yeah. Some guys. They want they want to get knocked the fuck out. Some guys, you know, they want they don't want to get knocked out. Nobody expresses it. It's just your discretion. So you let somebody take a beating longer than they need to. That's on you. You stop it earlier than you need to. That's on you. Like it, it's between a hard, uh, rock and a hard place. Yeah, yeah. Um. Uh. Shoot, I lost my train of thought. Oh, where were we on before that? Oh yeah, I was talking about. The last fight. Oh, so what, what was that like with, uh, like, how uh, how involved with you, Sean, with, uh, with Alistair's preparation on this one? I don't work with Alistair a ton. That's that's Cody, Donovan, Vinny Lopez, Christian Allen, and Dave Zabriskie. Okay, so, yeah, I was going to say, I know, I know he, like, usually his, his pads are, are uh, um, but, um, I, I can't imagine, like, I was talking about this before the fight. Like, I don't even think I could take that fight. Like, I would feel with, like, <clears throat> what Walt was going through. I would, like, man, it's such, it seems lose-lose. Like, I would hate yeah. to see him. No, like, did you see the memes? Did you see uh, the memes? Honestly, what? I, oh. <laughs> Sean, you have to have seen it. There's a meme where it's, like, uh, those, uh, those rooting for, or those rooting for Walt, like, is the, the dramatic girl. And then the cat is Alistair, like winning the fight. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like the the white girl, like screaming. And yeah, crying. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I think that fight puts anyone in a tough position, right? Um, especially the way that the UFC really marketed that fight and just continued to play the story about his daughter. I honestly thought on the broadcast they played it way too much. I was like, man, way this is getting. Much really uncomfortable you know like i think for walt man just to be able to get back in there and honestly for him it was probably something to finally take his mind off of the horror that he's been going through these last couple months you know he probably wants to get away from it there 
you know, and I, I appreciate the UFC honoring his daughter, you know, um, but I felt like they went a little overboard. They yeah, milked the fuck out of it. It was real. too much. It was too yeah. much in my opinion. On the other side of it, I think it takes a veteran like Alistair who has that many fights under his belt to be able to separate those two things, right? Look, yes, Alistair's a father. He can feel that grief that Walt felt and, and, and not even imagine what he's been in, but try to imagine that. And then at the same time, understand that this is business and Walt is here for work too. And we're both going to do our job. And I, I think mean, the picture that was taken after the fight where, where Alistair was bent over consoling Walt is, is the perfect picture. That, I think that's going to go down in the history books, right? Because the second yeah. that fight was over, it was two guys and two fathers consoling each other. And it wasn't two fighters anymore, right? There was two human beings. So I think Alistair did a really good job of, okay, even leading up to the fight, the face-off, they hugged each other. You know, Alistair said, my condolences. On fight night, it's all business. And the second that that fight got stopped, it was back to being two dads and, and not two opponents, you know? Epitome of professionalism and respect. Yes. 100%. Yep. Uh, Nick, are you there? Oh, there he is. Yeah, I'm yeah. I, I was I realized that I uh, I realized that I forgot to put my uh, phone on do not disturb. So I was like, oh, I want to make sure I don't get a call and get cut off. <laughs> I was I was helping Reem get ready for that first half of camp. Uh, we were getting ready together for that fight, and uh, twice actually two camps because he was supposed to fight him before too. Yep. And uh, his attitude is he cares absolutely zero about what the crowd is thinking. About he has has one mission is to win. And he could like the guy, he could dislike the guy. It doesn't matter. His training doesn't change. His, his mentality doesn't change. He has his objective, and he's going to get it at all costs. He's going to give it everything he has. So what the, what the crowd, like the, the build-up to the fight with, um, with the, video, the promo that they made, I guarantee you, I know for a fact that had zero effect on him. If anything, that put all the pressure on Walt. And you saw that when he lost and they stopped the fight and he was down there, like uh, on pretty much in a fetal, turtled up position, he just feels like he let himself down. He let his stepdaughter down. Just so much pressure on him. And like, it was uh, very disappointing for him, but I feel like at the same time, relieving. Like, oh, fuck. I, I would imagine it's, it's kind of like, it's like, man, you went, you know, sometimes when you're like, you know, like when it rains, it pours, right? And then, but sometimes when you're going through something tough, you're just like, you kind of just want, like, maybe this will be kind of a, not the light at the end of the tunnel, because obviously he's still grieving about his daughter, but it's like, you just kind of, I want something good to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Kinda yeah. Like the sunshine yeah. of this mix. And then, and then you, I don't know. Yeah, that's got to be rough. I definitely, obviously I was rooting for Alistair, but I definitely am hoping for Walt to go on a little bit of a, just on a personal level, I, you know, I just, I feel bad, feel bad for him, you know, it's rough. Um, but anyways, so, um, anything you want to, you want to touch on? I, I don't know where we're at time wise, but I think we're probably somewhere around 45 minutes. Um, I, you asked us all the questions I wanted to ask. Uh, so I think we're all good. This is a great, uh, great episode. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Anything you want to, you want to say before we close, Sean? No, just give a shout out to all the coaches on the team. I think that's another thing that makes us so special is that we have a really great diverse group of coaches that allow our athletes to pick who they fit, they think works best for them. Right. And even if 
that that may change from camp to camp too, right? A root may work with me for his last fight, and if he feels like for his next opponent he needs Christian or Vinny, he has an option to go work with those guys too, you know? Um, yeah. And I think I think that's something that's really special that we have. Yeah, it's never, it's never like as long as we communicate. There's never like right. I've never once felt like oh, oh, this is gonna be weird. No, like there's different circumstances each camp for both the coach and the fighter. So we have to work with what we've got the best, uh, like the best options. And uh, and I love I love that that there's no no weirdness. You just each camp you make it happen, do the best of your ability with what you've got with right. the coach, and that's it. I don't ever feel any attachment to like, oh man, these are my guys and those are your guys, right? Right? We are a team, right? All of us coaches are here for the athletes and it's not the other way around, right? So mm -hmm. if this athlete needs coach one, two, and three for this fight and four, five, and six for the next fight, they can get that from us, right? We're not going to fight over this athlete or that athlete. So yeah, you know, I think that's something that really makes us special at Elevation. And like I said, just to shout those guys out, most everyone knows our coaching staff, but, um, you know, we have Elliot Marshall, Cody Donovan, Peter Straub, Valora Caballero. Those are our four main grappling coaches. We have um, Vinny Lopez, Christian Allen, and myself as the striking coaches, and then Dave Zabriskie, who's our wrestling coach. Um, so that's eight coaches total, um, you know, in a room of about 40 athletes. And, um, you know, all of those coaches do a fantastic job, and they're they're – they're a big part of why this team is a good success. So, yeah, just a shout out part. to those guys. What um, – oh, we have an episode. If, you know, if you guys are interested, you can go back and listen. I think we've had Cody on the podcast, one of our first episodes. It was, it was one of my favorites, too. It was a really, a really good one. The sound quality is um, quite terrible. But he <laughs> could bear through it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, uh, she was going to ask. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I could edit this out if it's if it's secretive or anything, but like, well, what are the you guys know anything about like when pro practices might? Because um, right now, I, so um, I don't know if you know the circumstances, but basically, I, I, I moved back to California. It was, it was a thing with my wife's work, uh, so I opened up a business out here. But right now, we're closed, and I am collecting unemployment checks nice. so Good. i was uh i was considering bringing that unemployment uh out to colorado i know i know Dwayne actually has some classes going um i don't know what what you guys you know what that's looking like for you guys yeah so so as of right now and and as you guys both know like this shit changes week to week day to day hour to hour you know as of right now it's anyone who has a fight booked which is obviously most of our ufc guys or the potential to have a fight, for example, Austin Hubbard, who is in the UFC but doesn't have a fight booked, but those guys could get called in two weeks right now because they're trying to fill these cards. Those guys are the ones training. They have one or two designated training partners for each of them that they're bringing into the gym, right? So what we're trying to do is keep – and then on top of that, we're splitting the groups up. So it's like heavyweight at this time. The girls are at this time. Our lightweights are at this time. So we have a couple different practices because we're trying to limit the amount of people in one location at one time, you know? So we don't have any official team practices right now, but like I said, that could very well change next week. Right. Um, I know Colorado may move and progress a little bit more next week on the 26th. So if that's the case, right. Because at the end of the day, as much as we like the small groups, we can't, we can't run the same practice five times a day. It just doesn't, especially right. when the gym start to open, right? We are going to have to consolidate these again. 
So this may change next week to where we can allow a, little, a few more people in the room. And if that's the case, we're going to start letting guys train. But as of right now, that's what it looks like. The only people who are training are the UFC guys and their designated training partners. I'm training. I built the gym in my house. Yeah, and look, everyone else should be doing exactly that. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, but um, because, man, you guys could get the call too, you know? But, you know, for example, like Corey is using Wetzel, Justin Wetzel and Carrington Banks. And those are the only two guys he's been sparring with for this entire camp. And those are the mm-hmm. only two guys he's been training with. Um, who's, uh, who's Corey fighting? You know uh, not on the record. Or you want me to edit that out? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not, well, you know, the, so the tough part right now is that the UFC is not sending out contracts until like that fight is June 6th. Right. And where, what is it? May, you know, that fight is like three weeks away. They haven't even gotten a contract yet because they don't have a location for the fight. Oh, okay. so the UFC said, yeah, you guys are fighting. And Corey both said, yeah, we're fighting but they don't have an official contract because um, they're waiting to get a location for the fight. So UFC hasn't announced yet because of that, but for all intents and purposes, that fight's happening June 6th. Okay, nice. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing that. I was hearing that the UFC was trying to uh, get, instead of like paying for events at Florida, that they're trying to get the the Apex Center like approved. Yeah, so, so right now what we're waiting on is that the Vegas, right? So... They were supposed to have a card this weekend, May 23rd. They pushed that to May 30th. And what they're trying to do is get the fights in Vegas. If they can't, they're going to move those to Arizona because Arizona opened up for sports. And then if that's the case, Corey and will fight in Arizona instead on June 6th. If they can get Vegas, then they'll do Vegas on June 6th. So it's like kind of up in the air between those two right now. Nice, nice. Um... All right, cool. Well, I think that's it. Um, how can uh, people, you know, follow you, find you on social media, all that stuff? Uh, yeah. Maybe find out more information about Elevation if they're in Colorado. Yes. Uh, my Instagram is Sean Madden Muay Thai. Um, you guys can follow me there. Uh, it's the same on Twitter. No, Twitter is Sean MF Madden. I haven't changed that one yet. Uh, but more than, more than anything, follow the fight team. It's uh, on Instagram. Elevation Fight Team CO for Colorado CO at the end there. And that's the same on Twitter too. We actually just started the online store because people have been dying to get uh, t-shirts. Root, shout tank out top. to your t-shirt right there. Show them. Tank yep. So those, those are online. Yeah, we got tank tops on there. We have socks. We got hoodies. So those just got released today. Um, that, that link is on our Instagram bio. So if people want to go buy some Elevation swag, that is finally available for them too. Cool, nice, nice. Arud, how to uh, you know, do the usual? Uh, prime underscore time nine 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 nine, and on Instagram. Nice. We got we got to find you uh, an easier Instagram handle. I think I'll just put Arud Pagosian. Yeah, I'm sure there's none. I doubt Pagosian MMA. I guarantee yeah. that one's available. There you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you guys want to follow me, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Nick Angeloni 155. If you like the podcast, we're now on YouTube. Um, it's on my personal YouTube page for now. Uh, it's just Nick Angeloni. And then um, you can find the podcast as far as the audio goes, anywhere you get podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Spre- uh, Spreaker, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, you can follow the podcast on, on social media at Quotes and Chokes. It's Instagram, Facebook, everything. Um, other than that, thank you guys for listening. Arut, thanks for jumping in as always. Good talking. 
Uh, Sean, thanks, man. I appreciate you, appreciate you being on. Guys, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Uh, be safe. I hope to see both of you guys soon. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. Later. Take care, guys.